chillin' and a you will hear about the eliminating of the negative and a accent on a positive. And gather round me, chillin', if you're willing, and sit tight while I start reviewing the attitude of doom. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. This podcast is sponsored by Four Data a Canberra-based company that is committed to ensuring business owners have reliable and professional IT services. I'm a client of 4Data. I use their website hosting services, and I'm also reducing my email spam with their secure email hosting service. As a special offer to the Joyful Frugalista podcast listeners, 4Data will provide, wherever you are, website hosting at $12 a month, and up to two hours initial free migration service, valued at $300. Find them online at number 4data.com.au. 4Data, they fix IT. Hello, Fruitlisters, and welcome. Today we have a very special guest. Welcome, April. Hi, Serena. Thank you for having me. April is a mentor, trainer, and facilitator. And she's been doing two, I think, Facebook Lives with the Joyful Business Club so far. Yes. And she has so much wisdom to share. She does a lot of Facebook Lives regularly on her own channels. And in addition to laughing, dancing, hanging out with her children and family and learning anything that helps her grow and shine more brightly in the world, Mac Chat Podcast, which is fairly straight talking. (laughs) Very. Got a lot of swearing in it. (laughs) Well, we won't go for that here because then I've got a market explicit and I don't want to do that. She also runs several leadership programs for women with ambition, including Diva and Shine. Correct. And so many wonderful and beautiful insights. I really love a lot of the authenticity that you bring to your work. Thanks, Serena. Let's talk about how you got to being into coaching because you weren't always a coach. Correct. I was not always a coach. I was, I sort of started in the corporate domain. My profession is actually in IT, would you believe? Mm. So I was a project manager and worked in the IT environment for many years, about two decades. And then I found myself feeling frustrated and ready for something different. And coaching was my calling. It's quite a radical change. And I can imagine too that there aren't so many women working in IT. That's correct too. I mean, it's really, it is male dominated. I must say I did enjoy the environment because I think they actually really needed women. I was a really good communicator and I think that was part of how I did well in that, in that domain, actually being, Mm. being a bit different and being good at communicating. And understanding the customer experience, I I guess, and understanding how to connect with what their requirements are. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All huge strengths. Why coaching? Well, it really came out of my own personal transformation. That's quite a big story and I'm not not quite sure where we start, but... (laughs) (laughs) Let's start at the beginning. (laughs) Well, I was not happy in my job and also not happy in my marriage. In fact, every area of my life was pretty unhappy at a certain point in time. I was in my early 40s. I hit rock bottom and I found myself just feeling incredibly miserable in everything that I was doing. It was like a kind of like a wake up call. 
I found myself leave I left I left my job, I left my husband and I started a new life. And through that process and through that transformation, once I got through it, I realized that I wanted to help other people make changes in their lives and really do what they felt called to do. That's where the coaching came from. It was just like this I couldn't not do it. I had to try and help other people, particularly women to change their lives. So that's quite a lot of change you have there. You've got change in terms of leaving your marriage and also in terms of leaving your job. And change is something that scares a lot of people, doesn't it? Change management. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, you know, to to be outside of our comfort zone, the norm, what we're used to, it can be really frightening. For me when that all happened, I I didn't feel like I had a choice. Like Things had become so bad that I couldn't not change and I'd been ignoring it for a very long time. It wasn't an option to not make some significant changes for Mm, me. Double negative but hopefully a positive that's that's come out of it. It has. It's been incredibly positive. That's one of the things I wanted to help people with is help them realise that it can be very scary but on the other side of it can be just pure gold, like really light that you just can't imagine when you're in the darkness. You can't imagine that there's light at the end of the tunnel, but it's there. And when you get there, you look back and you think, oh my goodness, how how did I not, how did I survive so long in the darkness? You know, Mm. that's that's what happened for me. And for me, even though I was leaving a job, I, I literally was leaving a job with nothing to go to leaving the home, I was in financial debt, leaving the unhappy marriage and I really had no idea what was around the corner but I got through it very quickly and I wanted to show others, once, I, once I'd gotten through that, I wanted to show others how it doesn't have to be the end of the world and it doesn't have to be that hard. Yeah, it is a big thing. Like so many people, women in particular, they stay in bad situations, marriages, jobs, a whole range of things because of fear of money. And to be honest, you know, this was really where the genesis of the Joyful Frugalista comes from, realising that when you've got hold of your money that it can be very empowering. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's something I didn't have when I was in my marriage. I didn't have hold or control over the money. In fact, I had no idea how much money I even earned. That was the situation I was in. Let, let me just recap that. You didn't know how much money you were. Did you not see your pay slips? Like how, no. I'm just wondering how this dynamic worked yeah. for well, you. Well, I allowed my husband to manage all of the finances, every part of it. And at that time I was contracting and so he was running my income through a company. There was no pay slip. And I wasn't getting paid super. And Mm. so I didn't even know. I knew how much my hourly charge out rate was, but I didn't know how much income after tax and, you know, after any bills were paid, et cetera. I didn't know how much income I actually contributed. And I didn't know the financial situation of our household at all. That must have been a very scary decision then to walk away from that, like not just walking away from your job and the marriage, but also into that deep uncertainty. Absolutely. It was. But as I said, it was almost like there was no decision to be made. I couldn't stay any longer. And it wasn't 
it just felt like I had to leave. And I also, what I knew, the thing I think that allowed me to do it was I trusted in my own capability to be able to start again. I knew that no one could take away from me the fact that I was an intelligent woman who is highly employable and that I would be okay. I just knew, I knew I'd be okay. Well, you yeah. certainly are okay now. Mm. You can tell you're shining. In fact, you know, that's the name <laughs> of one of your new course offerings. Let's talk about this rebuilding. You've gone through this process. You've made this huge change on so many fronts. You're suddenly realising that from being in what you thought was a good financial situation, you realise suddenly you're not. Mm. How did you go about rebuilding? Well, it took a lot of time and I actually – So I had had my head in the sand when it came to the finances in the relationship and when at the time it came to leaving, I had to ask the question, where are we at? What What is our financial position? And when I found out that it really was as bad as, you know, it was worse than I had even imagined, I had to just figure it out. I had to get some skills, some financial management skills that I didn't have and stop avoiding knowing about money and avoiding being able to manage it myself. And it's a big thing, isn't it? Because, you know, if you've been avoiding managing money, there's probably some reason for it. Yeah, I was afraid, I think. And I had stories in my head saying, I'm no good at managing money. I can't manage money. That sort of story, unconscious beliefs that I was no good managing money, which is why I'd hand it all of the management over to my partner, Mm. who unfortunately wasn't that great at it either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, these these things happen. I guess you manifest what you're thinking. So how did you turn it around then to having a conversation with yourself about being good with money? That has taken a lot of time and effort. And I would say it's really even been still only quite a recent transition to feeling like I can manage money really well and I can... I've always known I can attract money well, but I didn't know how to manage it well, so how to keep it mm. and how to, yeah, to to save it and use it well. It was like I could attract it and earn this big income, but then it would just drain away really quickly. Mm. So it has been useful to find a partner who is very frugal. <laughs> I, I say my partner can run on the smell of an oily rag. I know that's about a car, but that's how I feel about him. He is very frugal and doesn't want for much at all. And he's taught me a lot of tricks. But before he came along, I, I did need to figure it out myself. And I sat down with spreadsheets. It was actually, I couldn't do it for long at a time. Like I realized it was very emotional for me to look at money to even just open the bank accounts and look at it and put the figures in spreadsheets and figure out the budget. Every time I did it, I would have a big emotion. Mm. And so I actually did have support through that process, like even just having a friend sit with me and saying, okay, I'm just going to do this for 10 minutes. Can you sit with me while I go through it? Because every time I would do it, such big emotion would come up, it would be really hard to even sit there doing it. Like for some people, this must sound crazy. No, not at all. And thank you actually for being so brave to share this. I mean, I love money. I love talking about money. I've always liked that. But there was a period of time after 
my separation where I thought we could potentially lose it all. We had 10 residential properties. We were severely over-geared. I mean, these days you wouldn't get loans for that amount, but, you know, we did. And then, of course, we separated and suddenly I had the burden pretty much of paying everything. And I went from reading about financial topics and being really interested in that to not wanting to deal with anything. I couldn't bring myself to open the newspaper and read about financial topics and really just... Yeah, I just I couldn't I couldn't handle it. It was just too much. Yeah. So I just didn't wait, I just didn't go there at that yeah. point. I sort of focused more on frugal and budget cooking because that's kind of what I could handle. And I know someone once told me that when she was growing up, her parents used to argue about money the whole time, and so she can't handle looking at a bank account right. statement. Yeah. It just sets her off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure we're not alone in having that emotion well I know we're not alone in having emotion around money and it's something I now help people with but when I say I help people with it doesn't mean I've mastered it either so I'm, it's still a work in progress for me absolutely mm-hmm. but I'm now excited when money comes in and when it goes out I've learned techniques to help me really enjoy money and see it as energy rather than a thing to be scared of. It's yeah. I've really changed the way I view money. No, that makes total sense. I actually really like paying bills. I know that sounds odd. There was a period of time after separation where I didn't like paying bills quite as much because mm. money was concerning. It is actually such a blessing for me to be able to pay things like utilities. And I've mm. got my little paid stamp, and I you know I paid <laughs> and I put the date on, and I feel really happy about it. I've got my little ritual. Yeah. I know that sounds strange, but I put it into a positive frame of mind. Earlier yeah. this year as we were going through COVID, I actually stopped liking doing that for a while. Yeah, I do an end-of-month spreadsheet and I was about three months behind because I just couldn't quite emotionally handle it mm-hmm. for no good reason once again. Had I taken my head out of the sand, I would have picked up on a few things. But, look, that was okay. I wasn't in that right headspace, so I just kind of left it for a mm. bit. Yeah, look, being in the right headspace is important, isn't it? And also the other thing that I do now is try and outsource the parts of my business and my life that I'm not really, really good at. Not outsourcing the money and managing it, but I do get help. I have recently enlisted the help of a bookkeeper Mm -hmm. and I also have an accountant because I used to always avoid come to tax time and it would be like, oh, I can't even look at it. I don't even want to know about it. There'd be like a messy box of receipts and half of them missing. So now I I get help when for those areas that I know that I'm just not great at. That's been helpful for me too. Well, and it ends up paying for itself in the long run because Mm. experts, they're across things. They know what's deductible expenses. They they keep those records nice and neat. They understand changes of whatever, whether it's JobKeeper or whatever's happening. They understand these things. Yeah, that's right. So it can absolutely save you money to get an expert to help you. I talk about this in terms of genius zone. It's just not my genius zone to do all of that finicky stuff. So I try and outsource that. It is hard for people who are in the startup phase who they don't have a lot of cash. They often don't have the cash to pay for people to do these things. That's right. Yep. So I've done it myself for quite a while, but it's only just now that I can, can outsource those things, which feels really amazing, to be honest. Freeze me up to do the creative stuff that I love doing. (laughs) 
So let's talk about some creative stuff and let's talk particularly about manifesting. So you were talking previously about how you, while holding on to the money and dealing with things like bank statements were challenging, you never had problems in terms of channeling the money in. Yes. So manifesting for me really comes down to self-worth and knowing that I deserve the things that I want to attract to me. And I guess before when I was able to bring in large amounts of money, but it drained out really quickly, that was because I don't think I'd worked well enough around my value and my self-worth and understanding that I deserved to have that level of money and that level of income. I had a lot of limiting beliefs that meant, yes, I could attract it in, but I couldn't keep it. Mm. And it's very different now. So now I'm able to attract, like I've attracted a beautiful man into my life. He's been with me for the last four years. I've got abundance in a different way. Like I've got such an appreciation for what I have now. Like I may not have, like back in the day we had when I was with my husband, we had BMWs, but we couldn't afford them. Mm. So yes, we'd manifested them, but we hadn't really. We were in massive debt. Now I can afford what we have. I have beautiful things in my life and I live within my means. I can manifest exactly what I need because I've got, I think really it comes down to self-worth. That's what I believe has been the biggest change. That's a big one too because it's always this thing that it's so easy to self-sabotage, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You might have all the qualifications and gone to university and have all the right degrees and yet you'll go to an interview and you won't have that confidence and so you'll you'll just self-sabotage yeah yeah absolutely and I see it all the time and and particularly women seem to have it more so than men I believe and I'm not sure why that is necessarily we could analyze that that'd be a whole nother topic to discuss wouldn't it but um (laughs) (laughs) well actually let's go there because this is something that I grapple with like outwardly I'm quite confident like I have no problems podcasting writing, being on TV, being on radio, like that's all fine, but then it crashes. Today it crashed badly, set off I think by grieving my nana who I really was very close to growing Mm -hmm. up and she was such an influence on me. And then that just triggered all this self-doubt and I don't even know where it came from. Like there's no reason for it. Like I just Mm -hmm. got a lovely email from someone who'd been a podcast guest about what a fabulous job it was on. I'm getting more freelance work. So it's like, where did that come from? Like, Mm. it doesn't make sense. Mm. Well, we do hold stories. They're in our subconscious and unconscious and they're there just waiting to rear their ugly heads (laughs) (laughs) when we least expect it. I see the work that I do personally and what I help other people do is uncovering what those stories are and bringing them into the conscious light where we can actually analyze them and see them for what they are which is usually complete and utter bs well pretty much and i know you've talked about this recently but is it generational do millennial women or younger women do they suffer from the same sort of self-doubt is it just that they haven't reached the glass ceiling yet or do they feel it and they're not talking about it or yeah it's a good question look i i suspect we can't generalize and say that they don't feel it but what I'm seeing a lot of, and the, a lot of the women I'm following, are younger and they don't seem to have as much self-doubt as those 
our age or I don't, I don't know what age you are, Serena, but I, I'm a Gen X. <laughs> I'm a Gen X. And I think you are too, yeah. And baby boomers, we tend to have lower self-esteem and, yeah, some real limiting beliefs around our capabilities that I'm not seeing the younger people have as much of. And I guess that's down to the parenting of the Gen Ys and the millennials, they were told they can do anything. They were told, you, you're amazing, you can do anything. And whilst some people are annoyed that the Gen Ys have so much confidence <laughs> that they believe they can do anything, I think it's a wonderful thing that they do believe that because that self-belief, if it's backed up by skill and talent and they've done the work, then they can. And I think we all can. And unfortunately, there's a lot of unlearning that some of us older, oldies or the older generations have to do around that, I believe. Yeah, I think so. And I guess just speaking from my own experience, the glass ceiling was real mm. and the gender divide was real too. Mm. And it wasn't often the really explicit stuff. It was often the indirect stuff. Yes. Yeah, I've experienced it too throughout my life. It's absolutely is real and something I want to protect my daughter from. But when I've talked to her about any of it, she doesn't, I mean, she's only 10, but she sees no difference between herself and the boys. She feels as capable, if not probably more capable, to be honest, <laughs> than any boy. And I love that. I love that she's not experiencing that. And maybe she will when she's older. I hope not. But I think it is a different world for the younger people. I really hope it is as good as what it looks like for me right now. You know, I'm a mother of two children myself. In fact, I think my kids are a similar age to yours. I've got an eight-year-old son and a nearly 11-year-old son too. And it is a very different world. Like a lot of people say that they're almost like the marshmallow generation. They don't have the same sense of resilience. Mm. Yeah, well, only time will tell. Won't <laughs> <it>? <laughs> only time will tell, That that's for sure. But back to our generation and the sort of work that you're doing, you did a great Facebook Live on the Joyful Business Club, my sister business, recently about how to charge what you are worth. Mm. And it really resonated with me and it really resonated with a lot of people, especially women. So how much of a problem is it with women, particularly in startups, underselling themselves. I see it as a big problem and it's one I experienced myself in the early days. When we start something new, we don't necessarily have the confidence to put the price on it that it actually deserves. And that's one area where I help people. I've got a client right now and she wants to charge a lot less than what she's worth because she's new to it. But one of the things I remind people of is that you weren't just born yesterday. Even though you might be new to the particular business that you're in, it's not like you haven't got enormous value and skills that you've developed over many, many years to get to where you are. So it's not like if you're suddenly now a marriage celebrant and previously you were a manager in, a, in an office you've still got all the skills that you've developed as that manager in the office, communication skills, time management, 
all the things that you know how to do, you, you're just pivoting them and turning them towards different profession doesn't mean that you are starting from scratch completely. I hear you and I often forget, particularly there's a few younger people that I work with and I forget that they don't know some of the skill sets that I have and I sort of look at a few things and go, well, don't you know how to do this? And, you know, I don't mean that in a bad way, Mm. but I just forget that in my nearly 20 years of Commonwealth public service career that I learnt a lot more things than I thought I did, such as writing, communicating, understanding how bureaucracies work, having that judgment skill of understanding what sensitivities there might be. Yeah, it's huge. And I'm always underrating that. Yes. Yeah, we do. We often forget all those talents that we bring and the value that we bring. I think doing that personal development work on self-worth, like looking at where you have had, I guess, experiences often early in your childhood or early in life where you didn't feel good enough or you were told you weren't good enough, you didn't hit the mark. Often they're the things that replay when we're older, especially when we're in a new domain or a new career or a new, new business those limiting stories and beliefs will play louder than ever before Mm. as we doubt ourselves. So doing that work is critical to being able to then really charge what you're worth. As you grow and evolve, this is the case for me, I have to keep doing that work. It doesn't stop. So I'm at the point now where I'm charging a lot more for my programs. When I decided to do that, I, I hit my edge and I realized, oh, here it is again, I need to go back, I need to do the limiting beliefs deeper work and see where where it is, what it is this time that I need to work through so that I can charge what I'm worth. So let's talk then about limiting beliefs and that's obviously something that holds a lot of people back. So we've talked about self-belief being a key one and not feeling worthy enough. Something you've talked about recently too is time being mm. a self-belief. Mm. Yeah, I hear a lot of people say, I don't have enough time to do what I need to do. And that putting their lack of success or lack of progress down to not having enough time. Yes, I see that now as a limiting belief. I used to say it a lot myself, but now I realize it's actually not necessarily true. There are ways, (laughs) I talk about bending time or compressing time purely by the way in which I I do my work. I do it in a very different way where I am a lot more productive and I can achieve and put output so much more by doing things quite differently these days. And I guess as a a former project manager, you'd have skills and and tricks as well. Yes, I do. Now, finally, do you have a frugalista tip to share? You asked me this before I came here and I I thought, what would it be? I guess... This is going to sound strange because it, it, I don't know if it needs to just be about money. Is it just about being more frugal with money? Mm. Or because what was coming to me was to talk about being more frugal with time. Well, time's important too. Okay, so I'm going to share my best frugalista tip right now is anytime you have an idea to do something, try and shorten the gap between the time from the idea to the action. Decrease the time between the idea coming in and taking the action to making it happen. 
and you will bend time <laughs> or you will make your efforts so much more productive by reducing that time frame because you get yourself out of the way and you get all of the analytical overthinking out of the way if you go quickly from idea to action. So just do it. Avoid overthinking. Yes. Save yourself time. Yes, that's it. Wonderful. Now, how can people find out more about you? People can find me on Facebook. That's the main place I hang out, either on my personal page or on my business page. So April Jane Mac or April Mac Biz. And I've also got a website, www.aprilmac.com.au. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Now, if you've loved this podcast as much as I have, I would really love it if you could please like, follow and share. And I love comments. So please make sure to share the love so that that gives me the encouragement to overcome my own self-doubt that I get from time to time and keep going. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. You got an accentuate the positive eliminate the negative latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In Between.